Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. David Kwan. He's the director of laparoscopic liver surgery here at Cleveland Clinic. He is here today to talk to us about advances in laparoscopic liver surgery for liver cancer. So welcome, David. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. So maybe to start, you can just give us a little bit of a background what your role here is at Cleveland Clinic. Okay, so I joined Cleveland Clinic about two, two and a half years ago. Uh, the purpose of my uh, hire at Cleveland Clinic was to improve the laparoscopic liver surgery program that was already here. Uh, it was uh, at a relatively small scale. And so they wanted to improve the minimally invasive approach in liver surgery. And in addition to that, they also wanted to have some pieces of laparoscopic living donor uh, program. So they, they reached out to me and um, things worked out well so that I could join the team. Excellent. So we have a, a fairly general audience here. So maybe we could just start off fairly basic. What, what, what are the biggest advantages of a laparoscopic approach for liver surgery compared to an open procedure? Uh, laparoscopic approach, not only liver, but let's say colorectal cancer or pancreatic cancer, and any cancers in the abdominal cavity, by having this minimally invasive approach, usually patients uh, end up having less pain during recovery. The recovery is faster. Uh, they go home earlier, and uh, overall, they, they return to normal activity a little bit early. Uh, so that's the general known uh, benefits of uh, laparoscopic approach. In addition to that, when you apply this technology in um, liver resection, in liver cancers, uh, there are a couple of other benefits that are only really very liver specific. And one of them is if you do it properly, uh, actually uh, you can have less bleeding during the surgery because of the intraabdominal pressure works against the vein bleeding that is usually apparent in liver resection. And secondly, in patients with cirrhotic backgrounds, because of the minimally invasive approach itself, uh, in a lot of patients with cirrhotic backgrounds, they tend to have a lot of ascites after operation. And because you're not sacrificing a lot of the collaterals that have been developed around the abdominal cavity, uh, actually end up having less ascites uh, post-op, which is something of added benefit when you do it minimally invasive in liver cancers. When you mentioned patients with cirrhosis, oftentimes they have a lot of other comorbidities. Is it possible sometimes to do surgery in those patients that may not be candidates for surgery otherwise? The indication for surgery itself is almost identical to open versus laparoscopic. Um, we don't have enough evidence as for now that we are able to expand the indication for surgery, but uh, there is enough data that we understand that by having a minimally invasive approach, uh, the patients uh, end up having less post-operative ascites and they have a overall a much uh, quicker and better recovery. When we're thinking about cancers um, related to the liver, are you primarily working uh, in primary liver cancers, HCC, or is this also expanding into metastatic disease um, and removal of METs from the liver? Uh, well, if you look at the history of uh, laparoscope approach, uh, we initially used to do for single lesions. And again, because of those added benefits in cirrhotic, 
The first target uh, patient population was uh, hepatocellular carcinoma, primary liver cancer. With more experience now added on, more and more cases with uh, cholerical liver metastases or other metastatic lesions to the liver are being candidates of laparoscope approach. Uh, the main big hurdle in being able to apply this uh, minimally invasive approach extensively as in open is usually metastatic lesions uh, occur in multiple lesions at the same time. And if there are too many, uh, then it adds a lot more uh, operative time, which is one of the drawbacks of laparoscopic liver. So as uh, just a, as a brief example, Usually in cases where you have more than five metastatic lesions, they're usually not candidates of laparoscopic approach. They will be better managed by open approach because of the extensive resections that are required. But usually there are cases that are less than five. Um, you can have a lot of benefits with laparoscopic. So in another episode of this podcast, we're going to talk to Dr. Aaron Berber, who does a lot of ablations. How would something like a laparoscopic approach to resection compared to an ablation? So ablation, as for now, uh, lesions that are less than three centimeters, uh, the results for ablation and resection are almost, almost similar. At least for less than two centimeters, they're the same. Between two and three centimeters, there's a lot of debate. Uh, lesions that are above three centimeters, usually resection does a better job than ablation. Uh, but the good thing about ablation is not uh, either surgery or ablation is again, in, especially in cases with metastatic lesions, some lesions are better managed by resection and some, some lesions are better managed by ablations and they can be done at the same time. So let's say uh, you have four lesions spread out throughout the liver, uh, two of them requires resection and two of them can be managed by ablation. Then you apply both technology at the same time uh, at one time. So one surgery, two, two resection and two ablations and the patient can go back home early. You've mentioned, you know, some some issues related to number of lesions and size. What kind of patients would you like to see in your clinic? Who who should be coming to see you to consider these approaches? I think it's very important to understand that the way other uh, specialties approach the cases are a little bit different from the way surgeons look at it. I would recommend, unless it's like completely widespread to um, knock at the doors of a surgeons to, to understand the perspective of a surgeon. Uh, if you look at the recent data coming out, actually there is quite a bit of patients that can be well downstage chemotherapy or radiotherapy or other local regional modalities. They can down, be downstage at the, at the extent that you can initially, cases that were not deemed to be curable, can actually receive a curable chance by having a resection done after being properly downstaged. So I think it's very important to at least understand that whether your case would be a good candidate uh, for being downstaged and then probably be resected or not. And uh, those things are, you know, really hard to make a proper decision, either whether you're a surgeon or whether you're an oncologist, this to be a group approach. And therefore, uh, I would recommend any cases that have uh, liver metastases to at least uh, have an, a consulting, you know, an, an opinion from a surgical standpoint. And certainly we have a well-established uh, tumor board system as well that we get that multidisciplinary um, input as well. Yes, yeah, so our liver tumor board is uh, I, it's fantastic. We have 
We have uh, outstanding uh, interventional radiologists. We have uh, a superb team of uh, external beam uh, radio oncologists. Um, and uh, every, every tumor is a little bit different. Uh, so by applying all these different multidisciplinary approach for the, for the same uh, lesion actually yields the best result. So how widespread is laparoscopic approaches like this? Um, is this something that mostly patients would have to come to academic centers to get optimal care from a laparoscopic approach? Or is this sort of widely available in a lot of community settings as well? Well, if you look at overall the penetration rate of laparoscopic surgery in the United States, it has barely reached 10 to 15%. So out of uh, 100 patients that get liver resection, only 10 to 15% receives it laparoscopically. Apparently, uh, in small centers, uh, small wedge resection can be done, but um, any cases above that small wedges, uh, it's better to be done at a... Um, at HPV specialized centers uh, such as ours, because it requires a lot of more expertise to be able to manage that uh, by minimally invasive approach. And that's why the penetration remains within 10, 20, 10 15%. I would say maximum, it will be 20, 30%. As for our clinic, I would say since last year, if you look at the data of last year, more than 50% of all liver resections that we've done here are done laparoscopically because we also take in major liver resections, right, lobectomies, left lobectomies. Uh, they can be all done laparoscopically, but I would say very, very few centers, uh, they don't have an HPV specialty in the surgical department, will be able to manage those things laparoscopically. What are the, uh, the areas of research that uh, you find most interesting at this point to, to improve the field? Well, uh, one of the emphasis that I, that I place a lot is because this technology is not still widespread among uh, the general surgeons within the U.S. Uh, I've, I run a course last year. I'm hoping to run another course this year as well. Also be uh, chairing uh, the laparoscopic liver surgery hands-on program uh, in one of the big conferences. Uh, so I think there has to be a lot of teaching and education because it's still um, conceived as relatively novel, and there's an extensive learning curve related with this technology that needs to be addressed properly in order to safeguard how these technologies apply to the patients. So you mentioned education. So um, certainly on the oncology side, we get a lot of a lot of people coming in to see us because their physician sends them, but then there are also just a lot of patients that take it upon themselves to come. Um, are, are most of your referrals from um, physicians or do you get patients coming in to see uh, if laparoscopic surgery may be something appropriate for them? Well, I guess I have uh, half and half. It's, it's a mixed bag. Um, half of my patients I get referred from physicians. Uh, and then I would say the other half, just uh, Google, they just find out that we Cleveland Clinic, we have a very extensive laparoscopic approach. Uh, we have a very strong laparoscopic program. So instead of uh, you know getting an open surgery uh, from where they were, they come to me and ask whether this can be done laparoscopically. If that is possible, we do it. What are the sort of technical issues that may be in coming into play to, to keep this from moving forward and being more general? Are there, are there particular things that, that need to be changed? Or uh, what does the future look like in terms of this procedure? Well, as for Cleveland Clinic, uh, during the last two years, uh, again, before I joined, we barely had 
uh, 20% penetration rate for laparoscopic approach. So it took me almost a year to change the whole culture. Um, and the way things are being approached now is very, very different from the way it was two years ago. Now, moving forward uh, for the whole U.S. population, uh, it'll be a little bit more challenging. But again, as I, as I described, I'm hoping to have a lot more mentoring programs running so that this technology can be applied in other states that don't have uh, access to this technology. You mentioned before about uh, sort of the combined approach. What does it look like in terms of interacting with the medical oncologists in terms of, you know, oftentimes if I'm sending someone for ablation, I'll perhaps give them chemo up front to shrink size or try to minimize risk that it might be spreading somewhere else. Are you seeing patients where you would like to have had chemo up front or is there something from a multidisciplinary uh, perspective that you would like to see changed in this area? So, uh, well, uh, one of the things that is, uh, I would say, a very large number of, of the patients that we treat, some of the patients I get first, some of the patients the oncology gets first. We have a discussion, we decide, okay, let's downstage a little bit more. I mean, I could resect it, but if it's well downstage, the resection will be uh, minimal and it will benefit the patient. So we have neoadjuvant chemotherapy first, or again, as I said, radiation or no, uh, uh, radioembolization first to, you know, to make this, the size smaller, more accessible for surgery. And then we usually reassess three to six months later and uh, do the surgery and then move on. Uh, there's also another group of uh, cases in which uh, initially, as I said, was not uh, surgically curable. And I would say that's one of the parts that needs to be worked on, but I think it's going to towards the right direction is that uh, quite often patients who are initially uh, thought to be not curable, they end up being classified within the group of patients that are not curable. And even though they had chances uh, during the course of the treatment that could be surgically removed, those cases are not brought up back to the tumor board to have, you know, to have a proper discussion. And uh, this thing is, uh, I would say, spread, spread out throughout the whole country, even the world. Uh, and so therefore this interdisciplinary approach of, you know, taking case the case back, having discussion, uh, proper discussion, I think is very crucial for the best management of the patient. You had mentioned uh, about primary liver cancer, hepatocellular carcinoma and the role of, of laparoscopic surgery. And I know you have the, the interest in transplant as well. Mm -hmm. HCC has had a tremendous growth in systemic therapies, and it's really changed a lot over the last couple of years. Um, have you seen a, a change in specifically with HCC in terms of what you're doing from a laparoscopic, either primary resection or transplant as the systemic therapies have changed? Not much. Uh, I, I guess we still need some more time to, to understand the impact of systemic therapy, uh, its, its role in downstaging in cases that were not managed by surgically. Uh, until now, the data that we have, at least from, from having a laparoscopic approach for primary liver cancer, uh, it is known that if your initial liver resection was done laparoscopically, uh, the second operation, which usually ends up being the transplant, uh, the result of the transplant, usually it's better because you have less adhesion, uh, because the initial treatment was done less invasive. Uh, now, it's known that you have less blood loss, 
and the patients usually end up recovering faster when you do the transplant. So that part is already established. Uh, the role of downstaging, this is another part that our tumor board is trying to change the culture and it's, it's a very actively uh, thought out right now is uh, for a brief, brief example, there was a case um, a couple of weeks ago, which like it was a cholangiocarcinoma, uh, extensive cholangiocarcinoma. We thought it wouldn't work at all. The patient had radiation therapy and chemotherapy. And six months down the road, uh, the, the tumor is shrunk. Now we are considering maybe doing some more cycles. And if the tumor stays stable over the course of six months or a year, then we, will we could possibly take the patient back for transplant or for surgery. We also have some cases that, well, I personally have some cases that, uh, that like that portal vein tumor thrombus, uh, which initially was not categorized as they were transplantable at all. Uh, having worked with uh, our uh, interventional radiology and uh, external beam, in addition to chemotherapy, they come to a stage in which they could be transplantable. Uh, there is no widespread uh, recurrence for a whole year, and then they could be possibly considered for transplant or resection. And I think with the novel uh, chemotherapy agents that we have, uh, we have one more tool to downstage better, so I think this trajectory of um, making more patients accessible for a curative option in a group of population that never was considered, I think we have a bright future there. We've certainly uh, made big changes in that. You mentioned that within a year, you've sort of changed the, the, uh, the culture of what's happening from a laparoscopic surgery perspective. What would you like the program to look like in, say, five years? What, what's the goal? Well, um, about uh, almost now a decade ago, when I first started laparoscopic approach, I also had embarked on robotic because at that time, both robotic and laparoscopic, there were good choices for a minimally invasive approach. Uh, when I first did, did it, it was evident that laparoscopic was way better than robotic because of the instruments that are available laparoscopically are uh, we had a lot more choices compared to robotic. Now, the robotic, I think uh, the generation changed four times since then. And now the, the new robotic platforms that we have is so much better than the ones that I initially did. So uh, we are slowly thinking about moving a little bit more to, to the robotic side. Just one, uh, let's say one brief example would be a clad skin tumor, a, a highlight cholangiocarcinoma which now I still think take the patients as an open approach because of the complexity of their surgery and reconstruction that is necessary. Uh, I think uh, moving down the road, maybe five years later, those could be candidates for robotic surgery so that you know, we can reconstruct the hepatocogenostomy and uh, take the, all the cancer out properly, just as we would do in open surgery without the uh, invasiveness. Well, you're certainly doing some exciting things, and we certainly appreciate all of your uh, your hard efforts for our cancer patients. So, uh, appreciate all of your insights today. No, thanks so much. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.